Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Calvary. We are so excited that you are here and joining us for worship today. Whether you're joining us at our chapel at our Golden Valley campus, or if you're joining us in worship at our Minnetonka campus, or hey, if you're joining us from anywhere else in the world, we are just so grateful that you are here today. We don't believe it's any accident that you are joining us today. And we're just so excited to have the opportunity to worship God together this morning. My name is Dagny, and at this point in our service, we always want to take the opportunity to talk about what a gift and what a wonderful opportunity we have to partner with God in his mission here at Calvary through the giving of our tithes and offerings. We serve an incredibly generous God and believe that we are called to reflect that generosity by giving and investing into the work that he is doing here. So if you brought a gift with you today, you can drop it off in the box at the back of your worship space before you leave, or you can always give online at calvary.org give. Thank you for partnering with us in this way. So if you have been joining us for the past few weeks, you will know that we have been in our summer series called Summer Fruit, where we have been diving in and unpacking each of the fruits of the Spirit that Paul lists in his letter to the Galatians. We first heard about love, joy, and peace, followed by patience, kindness, and goodness. And over the past two weeks, we heard about faithfulness and gentleness. And today we reach the end of Paul's list and are going to dive into the fruit of self-control. Now, self-control can be somewhat of a tricky topic. When I think of my own self-control or my lack thereof, I first think of the unfortunate reality that I am a nail biter. I bite my nails when I'm anxious, I bite my nails when I'm bored or when I'm frustrated, and for the most part, I barely notice that I do it anymore. I can't seem to control my need to make sure my nails are the same length, to make sure there's no rough spots, and seeing as I haven't had the foresight to carry a nail file with me, I resort to chewing on them. Now, maybe you can relate to something like that. Maybe you also are a nail biter, or maybe it's something else. Maybe you can remember the days when you were really little and you used to suck your thumb. Or maybe you find it physically impossible to eat just one potato chip or one M&M. Or you find it really difficult to stick to a diet or an exercise routine. Or maybe you can't control yourself when adding things to your Amazon cart. Or perhaps, like me, again, you like to think that your only self-control trouble spots are things like nail-biting or eating a little too much ice cream. But deep down, you're a little hesitant to admit that you fall into the vicious cycle of giving in to temptation, outbursts of emotions, of judgment, anger, perhaps pride, and ultimately, sin. You see, self-control is tricky because it can mean anything from buying one too many pairs of shoes to having too many glasses of chocolate milk, all the way to letting our eyes wander away from our spouse or causing irreparable damage in a friendship because we lashed out in anger in the heat of an argument. It doesn't mean abandoning or putting a cap on our emotions and feelings, but rather asks us to examine the root cause of those emotions and to shift our focus somewhere better. 
It seems to me that the kind of self-control that Paul is talking about when he lists it among the fruits of the Spirit is this kind that runs deep. The kind that isn't simply just saying no to the little things we want, but instead the kind of self-control that is rooted in our hearts and in our minds and in our souls. Now, just like with all the fruits we have discussed in this series, the Bible has a lot to say about self-control. In fact, the term self-control is mentioned over 170 times in the Old and New Testaments. And if we know anything, we know that if scripture mentions something so often, a particular word, a particular topic, it would probably benefit us to pay attention. Just to name a few examples, In Titus, self-control is listed as a qualification for being an elder in the church. In 2 Timothy, he says that in the last days, people will actually lack self-control, among other things. Or Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, likens self-control to how athletes train their bodies and discipline themselves in order to win. There's one example, though, that really stands out to me. And it comes from Proverbs 25, verse 28. And it says, a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without its walls. That's sort of an alarming image, isn't it? But the imagery in this verse, along with all of the times that self-control is listed among the virtues and qualities of godly men and women, is a significant indication as to the importance of self-control. This characteristic is clearly of value to God. And today, I want to share with you three reasons why it is so important. First, self-control is important because it reflects God's glory. You see, self-control is first and foremost an attribute of the Holy Spirit, which means that exercising it reflects the Spirit of God himself to the people around us. When we exercise control, we're pursuing and demonstrating a holy life that is glorifying to the Lord. Now, thankfully for us, we don't have to guess or wonder what it looks like to live a life of self-control that glorifies God because we have been given the perfect example in Jesus. Jesus who lived a sinless life Jesus who is patient towards sinners. Jesus who does not wish that any should perish, but rather that all should reach repentance and eternal life. That is the example that we have been given to follow. We see his control, his self-control on display in Matthew 4 when the devil meets Jesus in the wilderness and tempts him mercilessly. If you have your Bibles with you or if you have the Bible app downloaded on your phone, Turn with me to Matthew 4. Starting in verse 3, it says this. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. 
For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Talk about self-control. Jesus possesses more power and more authority than the devil could ever hope to understand. And rather than being tempted to show it off, he exercised restraint. He exercised trust in the Father. He exercised self-control and reflected the glory of God in doing so. We see this perfect example yet again when Jesus is being arrested after sharing the Last Supper with his disciples. One of the disciples takes out a sword to fight off those who are arresting Jesus. But starting in Matthew chapter 26, verse 52, Jesus says to him, put your sword back in its place. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say that it must happen this way? Jesus knew what he was sent to earth to do. And despite his own fears, despite his own power and authority, he demonstrated self-control by submitting to the Father's perfect plan. The perfect plan formed from God's own self-control when he sent his son to die. Jesus trusted and believed that God's plan was better and more important than his immediate desires. And how amazing is it that this trust and self-control was exemplified even as Jesus walked to his own death because he knew that God would be glorified in the process. You see, our God is a God of self-control. His heart is never inclined to evil and there is no unrighteousness in him. He never has to forsake his thoughts because his thoughts aren't like yours and mine, plagued with doubt and temptation. The Psalms tell us that he needs no guard set over his mouth to keep watch over his lips. His words and his actions are always pure and perfect and right. Characteristics that we see perfectly reflected in the life of Jesus. And as children of God, we are created in that perfect, glorious, and self-controlled image too. And so in the same way, God is glorified when we exercise self-control in our daily lives. The second reason why self-control is so important is because it protects our souls. The very fact that self-control has been given to and produced within us by the Holy Spirit indicates that there is something within each and every one of us that needs to be guarded, protected, and reined in. Now, as followers of Jesus, we know that our hearts have been made new and that we are a new creation, and yet we are still at war with our own sinful desires. 
It's an incredibly human response to be out of control because the broken part of us is inclined to put ourselves first, to put our wants, our needs, and our preferences before all else. We are very inclined to walk in the ways of this world rather than in the ways of the spirit. James describes these desires as dragging us away and enticing us into sin. Peter calls these desires a war against our souls, and Paul calls them deceitful and corrupt. I think back to the verse in Proverbs that says, a man without self-control is like a city that has been broken into and left without its walls. This must mean then that a man with self-control is like a city whose walls are firmly held, whose walls are secure against breach and vulnerability. You see, self-control is a necessary protection against the corrupt, deceitful, and vicious attacks against us because it keeps sin from gaining a foothold. Self-control that reflects the spirit of God and glorifies the Father is exactly what keeps sin from having the upper hand or gaining the high ground because it turns our hearts and our minds back to what is most important, him. We are ever so vulnerable to temptation and sin. And so God in his mercy has given us the Holy Spirit's fruit as a protection because our souls are of the utmost importance to him. I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. He says, but when you are tempted, because we will be tempted, God will provide a way out so that you can endure it. The Holy Spirit has been given as our guide and our helper for when we face the temptation to react in selfishness and pride, fear and anger. God has given us his spirit of self-control in order that we may be protected, guarded against those things that drag us away from him, all because of his deep love for us and a deep desire for true relationship and reconciliation with him. Finally, self-control is important because it demonstrates our faith in God's promises. I'm struck by the words in 1 Peter 4, which say, the end of all things is at hand, therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. This verse clearly mentions self-control, but what does the end of all things have to do with it? As believers, we await the day when Jesus will return, claim those who are his, and usher in a new creation. That is what we watch and wait for, and in that waiting lies a deep faith. A faith in which we take God at his word when he promises that Jesus will come again wipe away every tear from our eyes and that we will dwell in his house forever. This faith is demonstrated daily when we are met with situations that tempt us to respond poorly. And instead, we choose to walk in the spirit of self-control because we believe that God's perfect plan for our lives does not include those things, but rather includes generosity, 
humility, and a love that will be brought to true fulfillment when Christ returns. By exercising self-control over our hearts and minds today and every day, we are fixing our eyes on eternal matters, trusting that they are true and knowing that how we live on earth is a part of that plan. Placing a higher value on God's eternal plan rather than on our own immediate gratification. Ruling over our impulses and our actions is one way that we remain watchful and ready for his return. Because we are saying, Lord, I want you more than I want this immediate desire. I want you more than I want to win this argument. I want you more than I want to hold on to my money, more than I want to try and prove that I am better than my friend or my neighbor. It's through our self-control that we take every worldly thought and action captive and instead set our minds and hearts on things above. That is why self-control is such an important virtue and why it is worthy of being listed among the fruits of the Spirit. It reflects God's glory. It protects our very souls and it demonstrates faith in God's plan for what is to come. Ultimately, self-control is believing that God is who he says he is and responding accordingly. Believing that God is the good, loving, and just father that he says he is. Trusting that we are made in his glorious image and that he sent his son to be a perfect example and sacrifice for us so that we may live. And then actually meeting every person and every situation in the way that we have been called to. With love, joy, and peace. With patience and kindness and goodness. With faithfulness and with gentleness. Responding in these ways is exercising self-control because we are taking God at his word and saying, yes, Lord, I want you. Now, maybe you're like me and you sometimes find yourself asking, okay, how? I believe God is who he says he is, so how do I get better at exercising self-control in these ways? I still bite my nails. I still want to scream at my kids when they're driving me crazy. I still struggle with greed and pride. I seemingly can't help myself when I see a heated argument in the comments section on social media. I have to join in. How can I develop this part of myself in order to glorify God? How do I produce these fruits? Well, the short answer is, I can't. It is impossible for me, for any of us, to produce any of the fruits on our own. But the beauty is that we haven't been asked to. That is why it is called the fruit of the spirit, not the fruit of Dagni or the fruit of state your name. We have been given the perfect partner and helper in the Holy Spirit in order that these good fruits would be produced within us 
not by us. Rather than tasking us with figuring it out by ourselves, we have been invited and called to be branches connected to the true vine. In John 15, Jesus says, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Jesus gives us the answer when we ask, how do I get better at this? He says, remain in me. That is what we are tasked with. Closeness and relationship with the son of God who he himself also desires and yearns for that relationship. We're invited to draw near and to be attached, to be fed and cultivated by Jesus Christ. And it is then that the fruit of the spirit will flourish in our lives. Now this remaining in Christ has nothing to do with how much theology you know. It's not a competition among the people of God. It has nothing to do with how philosophical your insights may be about Jesus and everything to do with seeking to know Jesus on a deep and personal level. In our own relationships, in order to deepen connection, grow in love and grow in trust, what do we do? We talk to one another. We listen to one another, spend time with each other, get to know each other's strengths, quirks, and characters. And the same goes for our relationship with Jesus. By being called to remain in Christ, we're invited to spend time with him, to draw close to the Son of God, to let our minds be renewed by the scriptures that tell his story and our story too to spend time in prayer and worship and to become familiar with his character and his love for us. Because it is then when we are unwaveringly and deeply attached to the true vine that these important and perfect fruits of love, joy, and peace, of patience, kindness, and goodness, of faithfulness, of gentleness, and of self-control will be produced in us by the Holy Spirit to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you today for the ways that you teach us more and more about who you are and about who you have called us to be. Lord, thank you that your promises are trustworthy and for the reality that when we draw near to you, your good fruits are produced within us and shared with the world. Thank you for sending your son to be the perfect example of a life walking with the spirit and God strengthen us to go and do likewise. God, turn our hearts and our minds to you every day so that when we are met with temptation, when we're vulnerable to giving in to our weaknesses, we instead turn our hearts and thoughts to you. Father, forgive us for the ways that we fail and for the times that we do not respond as you would have us respond. 
Draw us closer to you and produce these fruits within us so that we may bring you glory and remain watchful as we faithfully await the fulfillment of all your promises. We pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.